The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. If you want to hone some new skills this spring, check out Learning with Experts, the global classroom community that brings people together to learn from the best in the business. Their range of courses covers everything from food and drink to photography and gardening. So why not become an accredited garden designer and learn with world-renowned experts, including influential Dutch garden designer Pete Ulof and multi-award winning British designer Tom Stewart Smith. Or take a course on herb gardening, natural beekeeping or growing veg. You can start whenever it suits and you get to meet other gardening enthusiasts in the sociable online classroom. Visit learningwithexperts.com forward slash on the ledge now for 10% off your first course. That's learningwithexperts.com forward slash on the ledge. Learning with experts, online learning that's guaranteed to lift the spirits. Welcome to On The Ledge Podcast, episode 119. I am your host, Jane Perrone, otherwise known this week as Snotty Snotville of Old Snotville Lane, because yes, I have a cold. So apologies in advance for the rather nasal sound of my voice this week. I'm sure you can bear with me and I will be back to normal in the near future. Well, as normal as I ever get. This week, I'm talking about how to give your houseplants a health check. As we heard in last week's episode, these death months of November, December and January can be very tough on our plants. So you need to keep an extra close eye on what's going on. And in this episode, I'm going to run through some of the checks that I like to do on my plants every so often, just to make sure that everything's ticking over and no horrible surprises await me. And we'll also be enjoying another Meet the Listener with listener Nick Shalosky. And catching up with our campaign to get the Monstera emoji added to all of our smartphones. Welcome to my new patrons this week, Milda and Emily. Great to have you on board. And if you'd like to become a patron of On The Ledge, then visit my show notes at janeperone.com to find out how. Thanks to Brooklyn Succulents, who got in touch after the Q&A on finding water for carnivorous plants and other plants that are sensitive to mineral salts. They suggested having a look at the Zero Water Filter, which is a jug water filter. This system claims to remove 99.6 of the dissolved solids in water, which would make it absolutely fine for giving to houseplants. So this is something definitely worth looking at if you are going through a lot of bottles of distilled water bought from the shop because of course if you buy this yes it is plastic but hopefully you're going to reuse it many many times and they also claim that the filters can be recycled so yeah the the zero water jug looks like a good option
option. And Brooklyn Sucklands says the filter's life is affected by how hard the local water is. In New York City, it lasts months because the water is soft. And they also point out that it does remove fluoride, which a lot of plants don't like. So this is definitely worth a look if you are somebody who's getting through a lot of bottled distilled water. Uh, It retails in the UK for about £60. As with many things, it's a little bit cheaper in the US. It's a hard life being a Brit, you know. Anyway, if anyone has any other suggestions on this front, then do get in touch and let me know. And now let's get on with our houseplant health check. Well, this may be counterintuitive, but the first thing to do is to start with the pot. Uh, If your plant's in a cash pot, it's time to brace yourself and get that pot out of the cash pot so you can see exactly what's going on. I know this can be a pain, particularly if you've got lots of plants on high shelves and so on, but this is really the only way you're going to be able to tell what's happening. So lift out the, the inner pot and have a look at the bottom of the cash pot. What are you going to see down there? Worst case scenario, you're going to see a puddle of water that's stagnant and stinky and horrible. And that's probably a really good sign that that plant has been allowed to have stagnant water sitting around the roots. And unfortunately, root rot is quite possible. So get rid of that water straight away um, and give the inside of the pot a good clean out. Uh, Good hygiene is a useful thing when it comes to plants. The other thing you might see if there's not a layer of water at the bottom, but perhaps just a little bit of dampness is some tiny insects scurrying around which often sends people into absolute fits of despair. But oftentimes these can be little things called springtails, which are organisms which live in soils and really they are not going to do your plants any harm. They're usually a bit of a cleanup crew for soil um, eating decomposing stuff. So don't panic if you see things scurrying around. As always, your hand lens comes in useful to have a look at them. But when you get to look at the rest of your plant, as we'll get on to, then you can check the foliage of the plant for any problems and also the roots. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. What else might you see at the bottom of that pot? Well, you need to lift up the pot and look at what's happening underneath on the base. Because the other thing that does happen, especially when you brought plants in from outside, is that you might find there's a little wee slug hanging about on the bottom of the pot that's hitchhiked in. Uh, So if there's any hitchhikers on the bottom of the pot or at the bottom of the cash pot, then do get rid of them. And while you've got the pot in your hands, it's a good idea to to test the weight of it. How heavy does it feel? Now, I've got some two pots here. I've got a Saxifragia Stolonifera Maroon Beauty, which is in a terracotta pot. And I've got another Saxifragia Ginkgo, this one's called, in a plastic pot. Uh, So obviously the plastic pot does feel a lot lighter than the terracotta. But I can tell from having picked up this maroon beauty many times that actually this is a little bit light right now um, and it means it could do with some water. Whereas the plastic pot is actually a reasonable weight. I think that one is okay. And while I'm looking at the outside of this pot, there's a few other things to observe on the terracotta front. There's a white crust around the edge of this pot and that's from mineral salts where the plant's been watered with tap water probably that's got mineral salts dissolved in it that then become lodged in the porous pot and leach out through the surface. It's not too much of a problem for this plant. This does get watered with rainwater so I think this is put of old damage as it were. It gives it character. Um, I'd be more worried if I was seeing green slime on the outside of the pot which is a sign that the pot has been damp for a very long time and has produced some algae growing on the surface and that would be telling me that the plant was being overwatered. 
So there's a few things to look out for on, on the pot side. The, one more thing to note, obviously, if I lift up these two pots, are there any roots growing out the bottom? And the answer in this case is no. Uh, just be careful as you tip the pot that you don't end up with compost all over your lap. Uh, but what do you do at this time of year if you do find a massive roots coming through? Should you repot? Well, that is a really good question. I think the answer is, is as is often the case, is it depends. If you've got a plant, uh, maybe a tropical plant that really isn't going to hit any dormancy through the winter and is going to go on growing, it's absolutely fine to repot into a slightly larger pot. If it's something that's kind of gone dormant and, and isn't putting on any new growth whatsoever, it'll probably be fine to be left till spring. So it's a bit of a judgment call. If you do need to repot cacti and succulents over the winter, the best thing to do is either to wait till spring, I mean, that's kind of obvious, or you can repot them into completely dry cactus compost so that they avoid getting waterlogged because that is the one thing that cacti and succulents absolutely hate over the winter time. Right, I'm going to put these back on the windowsill. There we go, one and two. And we're going to... Oh, my chair's squeaking, apologies. Um, So we've looked at the pot. What about the surface of the soil? Well, things you might see, you might see a little bit of white mould, uh, which is not the end of the world. If you're bothered by it, you can just scrape up the surface a bit or put a, put a little bit of a mulch down, some clay pellet. It, the mould could be a sign that the soil's a little bit damp, but not always. But as I say, if it bothers you, just scrape it away. What I'd be more concerned about seeing is either moss or liverwort. These are both indicator plants that the soil is pretty moist because they exist only where there's a lot of moisture around. Liverwort, if you haven't come across it before, it looks like a little sort of green, sometimes slightly slimy stuff that grows on the tops of pots, particularly in nurseries where the plants have been left to their own devices for a little while in damp and shady places. Liverwort is a bryophyte, which is um, a group of plants that is linked to mosses and algaes. And you don't really want to see any of these bryophytes on the top of your pots because it really does mean that conditions are too damp. If you have got them, scrape them away and then do a careful check on drainage and possibly repot if your compost is just too claggy. Because most plants that you're growing inside are going to be pretty unhappy in those kind of conditions with the usual few exceptions such as carnivorous plants. If you've got time, it really is worth taking the plant out of its pot so you can take a look at the root ball. Roots do vary quite a lot. You see some roots that are bright orange, weirdly, like Sansevieria roots, uh, the snake plant. Uh, most plants will have white roots, though, of varying thicknesses. And what the one thing they shouldn't be is smelly or, or mushy. So have a look at what your roots are doing. If you've got loads of roots growing on the surface of the soil at the top of the pot, that can often be a sign that you're watering too little and too often rather than giving the plant a really deep drink every once in a while. That makes the roots go to the surface to get to that water, but it's not good for the plant. It's much better to water more occasionally and let that root ball develop lower down so that it's less prone to stress when the plant does dry out. While you've got that root ball exposed, Grab yourself a chopstick or a kebab stick and get all stabby because one of the things that can happen to potting mix over time is it sort of slumps down in the pot and all the air pockets are gone. So 
give the plant a good stab with your chopstick and that way you'll encourage some air pockets to form and loosen up that potting mix a little bit which can benefit plants yes you will damage a few roots along the way but it will be fine trust me it'll be absolutely fine so do that if your plant particularly if you're finding your plant is hard to water because the water just runs off that means it's just too compacted down there so adding some extra aeration will really help so you've done your little stabby bit you can put the plant back in its pot if you do find a lot of slimy wetness down there that really is time to take action cut away anything that's damaged and repot in fresh and fairly dry potting mix and hope for the best because uh, that is the worst possible thing you can do to your plant. So now you've looked at the pot and the roots, it's time to move on to the foliage. I'd give it a bit of a feel, first of all. I do love to stroke a leaf, as you know. Um, and But this is a really good way of knowing what's going on with the plant. Going back to that saxifraga I was talking about, where are you? If I feel the leaves of this plant that I think is underwatered, it's there one of them is starting to curl a little bit and it's looking quite floppy which in combination with the fact that the surface looks really dry and the plant feels a little bit light all leads me to suspect that it needs some water this isn't too dire because plants will generally survive a lot better underwater than overwater but even so it's time to take action and get this plant some water if you have a succulent plant and you give the leaves a little bit of a squeeze, if they are feeling anything but firm, that's time to be a little bit concerned. At this time of year, oftentimes succulent leaves can get a little bit squishy just because they are lacking in water and the water reserves they've got stored in those leaves are starting to be used up. So it may be that your plant may need a dribble of water, particularly if it's growing in room temperature conditions and isn't being kept really cold because it still might be growing uh, so if you think your plant is really really dry then yes you can give it a stop, bit of water to stop it from getting really wrinkly and soft but do bear in mind that softness can also be an indication of overwatering. so again if you do the root ball thing you'll get a sense of what's really going on also check whether the leaves are dusty or maybe they've got marks on them from hard water um, are, are hairy leaves sort of getting all yucky and dusty that's an indication that you just need to do a little bit of maintenance and either get an old paintbrush, but a clean one, or an old makeup brush, again, it must be clean, and brushing away any dust. Or if you've got a plant that has got glossy leaves, something like an aroid, then you can just get some rainwater or distilled water in a spray bottle and give it a good spray. If you're in a hard water area, there isn't really much point in trying to clean it off with tap water because you'll just be left with those marks from the water. So again, another case of for using rainwater or distilled water or indeed the um, water from one of those water filters we were talking about earlier. Hairy leaves generally don't like to get water on them whatsoever. So things like my saxifraga, African violets, streptocarpus, they need to be kept dry and that's why you need to do the brushing instead. Once you've felt up your leaves, now it's time to have a really close look at foliage overall. Turn those leaves over because that's where pests are going to be hiding on the whole. Look for any signs of 
anything that looks out of the ordinary. It could be something as simple as tiny little granules, which would indicate spider mite, uh, dead skins of spider mites, or possibly spider mite eggs. The other place to look is in the joins where the leaf petiole joins the stem. That is where things like mealybugs love to hang out. So if you see any fluffiness in those joints and crevices of a plant, that is the time to get started with some mealybug treatments. Uh, mealybugs, we'll have, I'm going to do a whole episode on these soon, but if you've got some rubbing alcohol or isopropyl alcohol, or if you're in the UK, you can use surgical spirit, get a cotton bud, aka Q-tip, and dip that into your alcohol slash surgical spirit and just dab it onto those mealybugs to get rid of them and you may have to do repeated treatments to get rid of those. Um, look also for things like dead and dying leaves and remove them straight away because leaving dead foliage around can encourage and of course also they're making your plant look really unsightly. If your plant is on a windowsill, have a close look. It, are any of its leaves actually touching the window pane? At this time of year, windows can get incredibly cold. And if you have a plant where it's touching that freezing cold window, oftentimes that leaf will be damaged. So make sure plants are just pulled away a little bit from windows. If you've got good double glazing, actually, I know people always say, oh, take plants off windowsills in winter. If you've got good double glazing, it shouldn't really be too much of a problem. There won't be major drafts or cold spots. Uh, but if you are going to be pulling your curtains or blinds down, leaving the plants behind the blinds, um, between the blinds and the window, that can sort of create this kind of cool spot, which can cause some plants problems. So have a look at your plant. If it's looking unhappy, it might just be move worth moving it off the windowsill at night time. If you are going to mist or spray leaves, either to clean them or because you're doing some kind of treatment for things like spider mites um, the best time of day to do it is the morning when the plant has plenty of time to dry off its foliage before nightfall because wet foliage at night can be a bit of a problem for plants if you've got leaves that look very pale and washed out, it can be a symptom of too much sun. At this time of year, that may be not so much of an issue, but overwatering is the other reason for that yellowing leaf scenario. So again, if you've got things like Hoyas, this is a classic one, I keep seeing pictures of people with Hoyas, particularly Hoya kerii, which is very, very susceptible to too much water around the roots. Um, you really need to think about pulling back on the water and letting it get really quiet dry before you water um, and then ultimately in the longer term potting it in something where it's really free draining so that water doesn't hang around those roots. It can be tempting in the winter to just think about chopping away at any foliage that looks substandard and this isn't entirely a bad thing to do but do bear in mind that pruning actually encourages new growth so if you are going to cut a load of foliage off your plant do you really want to do it now when the plant really probably should be having a bit of a rest? So trim judiciously, take off anything that's dead, dying, diseased, uh, and any really spindly growth. But do bear in mind that if you're gonna take off spindly growth that's spindly because the light conditions are low, then you're gonna to need to improve the light conditions. So uh, I mean, I've got my setup here in the office with my Vaxa grow lights from Ikea which is lighting up my succulent collection. It is, they're doing a good job so far. Nothing seems to have gone greatly etiolated. There's probably about 10 to 12 plants under each light. Uh, it's not the brightest of rooms, but that extra light just seems to be doing the trick. I'll post a picture in the show notes so you can see what it looks like. 
If you have cuttings rooting in water at the moment, there's another thing that's really worth looking for, which is how is that water doing? If the water starts to be filled with foliage that's fallen off the cuttings, which does sometimes happen, it can get really stinky and anaerobic. And that's the one thing you want to avoid because the water needs to have plenty of oxygen in it. So it's worth emptying out that water, cleaning out the container and refreshing because hygiene is all. In terms of pests, if you've got distorted leaves, then that's usually a sign of aphids and they can be a problem in winter. They tend to uh, die off outside, but stick around indoors and find tender young growth on plants. And that results in this kind of distorted growth where plants are kind of puckered and not the leaves just don't look right. So if that's the case, you can give them a good wash off under the tap. You can use an insecticidal soap. You can just brush them away with your fingers, but you are going to have to come back and keep doing it until those pests are completely gone. And while you're looking at plants, it's also worth giving them a little bit of a turn because lots of plants will grow towards the light, particularly in winter. So unless you want a really leaning plant, then it's a really good idea to just give them a little bit of a turn every now and again, just to keep them growing evenly. Well, that pretty much wraps up my houseplant health check. But what have I left out? Please drop me a line or leave a comment on the show notes to tell me how you check your plants and if there's anything else essential we should be looking for. This week's On The Ledge is supported by Native. I've been using my native deodorant for a few weeks now, but I knew when my daughter started stealing it out of the bathroom cabinet that it really was a hit in my household. Native's deodorants come in a range of delicious scents, lavender and rose, cucumber and mint, and eucalyptus and mint. Plus, especially for the festive season, try Native's new candy cane scented deodorant. Because heck, who doesn't want to smell like Christmas? Native's products aren't tested on animals, and they're free from aluminium, parabens and talc. So try out Native today. For 20% off your first purchase, visit nativedeodorant.com and use promo code ONTHELEDGE during checkout. Shipping is free on all orders to the US, Canada, Australia, France, Germany and the UK. So for 20% off your first purchase, visit nativedeodorant.com and enter code ONTHELEDGE. And now it's time for question of the week, which comes from Gabby, who lives in New York. Gabby emailed to say that she'd read that fallen leaves can be magical additions to soil. She's got a covered porch that seems to be a magnet for said leaves, but she hasn't got a yard to compost them in. So she's wondering if she can use dried leaves to breathe life into potted plants by cutting up the leaves and mixing them with potting soil. She wants to make use of this free resource, but she's not quite sure how. Well, I love your spirit, Gabby. That is how we like to do things at On The Ledge, using the stuff that you've got around you and making the best of it. So what would dead leaves be adding to your houseplants? Well, some good things and possibly some bad things. What I'd recommend normally with fallen leaves is to gather them up into either a big old plastic sack you can reuse a compost sack and slash some holes in the side pile them into that sack and leave them somewhere out of the way for a couple of years to turn into leaf mold because leaf mold is a wonderful addition to pots outside and in the garden it's a really good soil conditioner 
Leaf mold is a magical thing. I shall put a link in the show notes to a article written by a friend of the show and my personal friend Alice Fowler about how wonderful this stuff is. Um, it has been accurately described as nature substitute for peat and it's very, very good to add to your garden. But as Alice writes in this piece, good leaf mould is a bit like vintage port. Year one is fine for mulching, but year three is much better. Some leaves like ash and beech, um, poplar, oak, they will rot down really quite quickly. Leaves that take a lot longer include things like sycamore and horse chestnut leaves and magnolia leaves. They will probably take a couple of years to break down. And if you've got evergreen leaves, they will take even longer. And they really do need shredding um, and adding to the compost bin rather than separating them out for leaf mould because they will take forever. I know that's not much comfort, Gabby, because you want to use those leaves now and you don't really have anywhere to store them. But if you add leaves to your plants, as you suggest, when they're fresh off the tree, they're probably not going to do a great deal to help your house plants, and they could introduce some things that you don't want. So, for example, if you've got a pile of leaves that have been gathering on your porch that you sweep up, cut up and add to your plant potting mix, you may find that on those leaves are things like slug and snail eggs, which generally look like little round translucent pearls, uh, sometimes quite hard to spot. And they may introduce things to your potting mix that you don't necessarily want to be there. So you may end up introducing an army of mollusks to your houseplants, which is not great, as you can imagine. Also, the process of leaf mould creation is time consuming, as I've said. And if you're adding the leaves before they've gone through that process, they're not really likely to do a great deal to your potting mix. In fact, the process of breaking them down may actually rob some nutrients from the soil. So I don't think it's something that I would recommend. What I'd say is if you can bag them up and find anywhere that you can store them, out of the way for a couple of years, it's really worth doing. Or possibly give them to somebody else who can look after them for you until they have reached that wonderful point and that leaf mould is nicely broken down. And at that point, yes, I would say it's probably fine to add to your potting mixes for your houseplants, particularly for things like ferns. They would absolutely love to have some mature leaf mould. Or you could add them as a top dressing if you wanted to. I know it's annoying to think that you can't make use of these, Gabby, but I'm sure there'll be some other gardeners in your neighbourhood who will be able to make use of these. So I think it's a good thing for your karma. Give the leaf mould away and you might find something even better comes your way. If you really want to use those leaves, Gabby, I would say check them carefully and use them as a mulch on the top surface of your pots and see how that works. Experiment and see if that is a successful method of keeping your plants a little bit more snug. It's not something I've tried, but there's nothing wrong with experimentation. The other thing I would recommend doing is if you've got a few dry leaves when you're repotting, you can put these at the bottom of a pot to stop the soil dropping out of the holes in the bottom rather than the old fashioned method of uh, a handful of gravel or crocs which does nothing to improve drainage and may make it worse but at least by having a dry leaf at the bottom which is obviously going to decompose gradually you're going to stop any soil falling out the bottom i hope that is helpful gabby let me know listeners if you have any other thoughts on what gabby can do with her leaves and if you've got a question for on the ledge drop me a line on the ledge podcast at gmail.com Thanks to all the listeners who've been in touch about Meet the Listener. We've had a great response. And if you have emailed, you should be hearing back from my assistant, Kelly, very soon about how to take part. But let's meet this week's listener. 
He is the first listener we featured who comes from across the pond, and his name is Nick. Hi, Jane. This is Nick Shalosky from Philadelphia. I grew up in South Carolina in the Southeast United States, where I had a garden and chickens and grew up with a whole family that loved plants. And my dad was a botanist and uh, my mom was always in the garden club. And then I moved to Philadelphia and I've lived in smaller apartments and had to do more indoor gardening for the past five years. And so now I have a dog and a cat and a husband and about 105 houseplants, not including the ones that I'm propagating. Um, I really love propagating plants to share with friends and because apparently I just can't get enough and want to keep having more plants. Welcome to On The Ledge, Nick. 105 plants. That's quite specific. Anyway, let's get on. Are you ready for your interrogation? Here we go. Question one. There's a fire and all your plants are about to burn. Which one do you grab as you escape? If there was a fire, I would probably try and get my husband and pets out first. But who knows, Matt, go for a plant. If I, of all my plants, my favorite is my crinkly leaf bird's nest fern because it was my mom's and my mom's passed away last year and it was her favorite plant and I inherited it. Um, I'm actually trying to propagate it from spore, which has been a very slow and tedious process, but that's the one I would try to grab. Question two. What is your favorite episode of On The Ledge? My favorite episode or episodes probably has to be episode 67, the mini episodes where you gave lots of great information about several different plants. Pretty sure I bought a burrow's tail um, right after that episode. And now it's one of my favorite plants. Question three, which Latin name do you say to impress people? So I have to confess, I actually very rarely use the Latin names of plants. Um, but one that I like a lot is Cetum morganium. Same thing with that burrow's tail, which is one of my favorite plants. I think it sounds like a Harry Potter spell, so that's why I like it. Question four, crassulation, acid metabolism, or gutation? I think I have to say gutation because in my northeastern apartment, it gets really cold in the winter, and so we have hot furnace, furnace heat. It gets really dry, so I have a couple of humidifiers around the house. So knowing that that's happening, when eucatation is happening, it makes me know that my humidity is high enough. Question five. Would you rather spend £200 on a variegated monstera or £200 on 20 interesting cacti? I would definitely spend the 200 on 20 different cacti or succulents. I am a huge fan of succulents, especially succulents that are hanging or vining. And last year, I actually tried to make one of those succulent wreaths that I saw on Pinterest or online, and it didn't turn out too well. And I just feel like I would try that again. And I would, much, and I did get a uh, monstera cutting from a friend for free, so I think I'd go for the succulents. Thanks to Nick great to meet you and if you'd like your dulcet tones to feature on on the ledge yes nick i thought your voice was lovely then you can email on the ledge podcast at gmail.com and now it's time to talk monstra emojis if you've been following our little journey 
we are trying to get a new emoji added to the official Unicode list of emojis. And of course, that emoji is the monster leaf emoji. So we've been dabbling in the Unicode website to find out some more. And in this little chat with Kelly, we catch up on the paperwork required to submit a proposal and some of the other proposals that haven't gone down so well. Kelly, we are on our emoji quest again. We are. Thank you for joining me. We have made some progress. We've got as far as establishing that I think the monster emoji is the one that everyone seems to want to go for with a couple of people plumping for durian. I think we're going to stick with the monster relief though because I think I think we've got the greatest chance of success quite frankly and we've both been ploughing through this mire of information about how to submit a proposal and what you have to do what are your sort of top line things that you've you've figured out so far from reading all the various pieces of paperwork is there anything we we've got to do yeah the thing we really have to do is prove uh, the need and we've got to look at trend data so frequency of the hashtag houseplant or potted plant occurring um to uh, yeah to basically prove that there, that this emoticon would be used that there'd be a need for it should it ever come to fruition so we're gonna have to start scouring the net for frequency of, of the use of those hashtags okay well and if any listeners want to help us with that if anyone's a whiz with i don't know um hashtag research then we need to hear from them don't we because i don't really know where to start with that other than like literally googling <laughs> there must be a better way i think there's a, isn't there a thing called google trends or something you can use or, or analytics i'm not really sure to be honest but yeah we'll yeah it's going to require a little bit of digging around um, and also to maybe look at the frequency of hashtag usage for similar terms because we've discovered that there are other similar proposals in the works with Unicode and they tend to include um, comparative data. So, for example, um, someone has looked at usage of the hashtag pine tree, which already exists as an emoji, and um, they've compared that with uh, the use of terms like houseplant and potted plant. So it it wouldn't hurt, I don't think, to look at other similar things. You know, this is out there. It already exists. You you considered it worthy of an emoji, uh, but hopefully, in theory, houseplants is being used more, in which case that can only strengthen the argument. And I think the other thing that I've kind of come to the conclusion is that it needs to be distinctive. And I think this is where the monster relief really stands out as an idea, because really, that is a very unique silhouette that can't be confused with anything else. Um, so I think that that will be in its favour. I think the other thing that's in its favour looking through is that they seem to be quite keen on emojis that might have other meanings, like a, a metaphorical. They say, does the candidate emoji have m- notable metaphorical references or symbolism? So, for example, they give the example of a shark also meaning um, a huckster in jumping the shark, lone shark, etc. So, and I thought that's quite good in terms of monster relief because I think it kind of signifies jungliness or luxury or style. Um, so I think that that probably does work. 
Um, I agree. And also any phrases that it might appear in. I mean, it's a similar thing, but I know that, that there are existing pro- emoji proposals in the works where they've thought about phrases like, for example, don't beat about the bush, where you could possibly plonk an emoji in that sentence uh, to obviously okay. denote the bush. So, yeah, anything where you could plonk a monster relief in the middle of the sentence could also uh, yeah. bolster the argument. Excellent, because it does seem like some of the proposals that have been made for other emojis have been, well, sometimes I'm looking at them going, I don't understand why that emoji's gone through and another one hasn't, but they seem to have their reasons. I I mean, I think we've got a reasonably good chance. The great news is that we've got a couple of designers who've agreed to help us out with coming up with a design. And in fact, Jessie has sent me a draft emoji uh, that she's just done a, a, a rough idea of, which I'm going to put onto the Facebook group for everyone to have a look at. I think it's pretty good. We need to submit it in a black and white form and a colour form. So that's something else to think about. But I think it's good as a starting point to have something to work from. Um, and another designer, Oscar, has been in touch to offer his help as well. So I think we're sorted on that side. I think it's really just getting the evidence together and coming up with all those killer arguments as to why it's a good idea. The other thing we need to think about, though, is where in the emoji suite we would we would place it it feels to me that its natural home would be alongside the other plant the existing planty emoji yeah i'm thinking after cactus uh, i don't know who knows whether that that will be whether there's any uh, logic to that i've also one of the other (laughs) rejected emojis was cabbage a cabbage emoji that would have been great why did they reject a cabbage emoji again how odd yeah yeah well well, i guess the only way we're going to find out is by just cracking on and having a go um so i think if we can start getting that information together and then the way that we have to do the proposal is very formula it's a there's a very specific formula for doing it so then i think we just need to start plugging the information into the form and um and get our get it all together ready to ready to fight for for the monster yeah agreed That's it for episode 119. I'll be back next Friday with the Begonia special. Yes, I've been promising it for a long time, but it's nearly here. In next week's episode, I'll be talking to Steve Rosenbaum of Steve's Leaves, all about the wonders of the Begonia genus. Join me then. Take care. Bye. music you heard in this week's episode was Roll Jordan Roll by the Joy Drops and the tracks Chiefs and Endeavour by Jazar. The ad music was Dill Pickles by Heftone Banjo Orchestra. All tracks are licensed under Creative Commons. See my show notes at janeperone.com for details. <laughs>